Okay, so I am here with Wendy Lyon Sunshine, who is a writer and who does everything that one can do with writing. Almost. <laughs> Almost. I'm, I'm aspiring. You're, you're aspiring to do everything, <laughs> right. Okay. And I'm explaining to Wendy that I interview people who make their living or their life with an art, which she clearly does, the art of writing. And I only ask one question, and it is, do you remember, can you tell me, the very first time that writing stories, words, ideas, any of that stuff called you, seemed interesting to you, compelled you? Well, I loved reading from childhood. And I got a bachelor's uh, of arts in English simply because I thought it would be the easiest degree <laughs> I okay. could read. <laughs> okay, wait, slow down. Uh, do you remember how you started to read? Did somebody read to you? I remember uh, very young, when we were in grade school, they would have what was called scholastic um, books, and they would come and you could order these little paperbacks, and then they would deliver them one day, and that was like the happiest day, because yes. you get this pile of paperbacks, and I could immerse myself. Uh, in okay, so, so this is grade school, you're what, seven, eight, to like Probably that? Probably very young, yeah. Okay, so do you remember anything before that as related to stories? I mean, where did you get the idea that... I just did, well, because I loved being immersed in different worlds and learning different ideas and, and inhabiting different worlds. I understand. Do you know where you, where that... Well, well I was thought about that. I could, the best I could draw from is that um, two elements are my mother's an artist, a visual artist, so I actually started visual arts before I did a lot with writing. So that means you started to draw? To draw? Yeah, mm -hmm. I drew very young. Um, yeah. and how, I was, how old is very young? As soon as I could hold a pencil. Uh -huh. uh, I remember my most thrilling moment, but I, here's how I knew I wanted to get into publication. In fifth grade, we were given an assignment that they were having this little chapbook for the year for school kids. Uh, and everybody uh, had to sit and write a little story or do a drawing or something they could put in there. So I went home and I copied a picture of a kid out of a newspaper and didn't submit it, didn't think any of it, anything of it. And three months later, whenever the close of the school is, I come in one day and sitting on the side of the classroom is a stack of bound little booklets and on the cover of every single one was my drawing. And I, I thought I had died and gone <laughs> to heaven. <laughs> I felt like I was on the cover of the New York Times. I, 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 was, right. I was just gobsmacked. And uh, I, I probably was on a cloud for about a week after That's that. That's lovely. Um, but, you know, my father actually worked, made a living as a writer. What kind of writing did he do? He did financial writing. He was on Wall Street. He, he was the editor of a publication, and he wrote. So my mother had the artistic sense, and my father had writing and an analytical sense. And I was the first child. And um, uh, so I, I uh, got the benefit, uh, or bore the brunt of it, depending on <laughs> your, your opinion. Um, so, so are you saying they never talked to you about it? They never read to you? They never said, maybe draw? They, you, don't, you don't remember any of that? It was just part of the fabric of life, so I didn't, uh, probably they did, but I don't specifically recall it. It's kind of interesting, because, because it sounds like, very young, you understood that there were stories, that there were alternative realities, that there were um, things 
that you would be interested in, but but you so that had to come from somewhere. I also want to point out that it's not just about stories for me. It's about understanding the world and making sense of the world. Ah. In fact, that was another aha moment in fifth grade because there was a, a young man I remember so clearly. His name was Doug. I don't remember his last name. And he was a storyteller. He could pull a story out of the air and write it. And I was always very jealous because I couldn't. I couldn't make things up the way people, many people often did. Um, it wasn't as instinctive to me as it was. To, I mean, I just knew he was going to go on and have a career. Like, you could just tell at that mm -hmm. moment. Whereas for me, the moment that helped bring writing into focus was when I realized you can use writing for nonfiction, but you can make nonfiction stories. And so you can draw from life and tell it in a fictionalized way. And you can also use nonfiction writing to help understand the world, make sense of the world through journalism uh, or through, through uh, educational materials. So those were some of the the doorways that I came Yeah, through. I got it, and I missed it altogether. It is this thing about making sense of the world. And generally, we arrive at that because the world requires making sense of, right? Yes, yes right. absolutely. Right. <laughs> and, I, and I will say, as a young kid, I would pen elaborate letters in my head to share my opinion about things, which I never actually wrote on paper and or had the nerve to voice. So I was imagining writing before yeah. I actually wrote well, and not only writing, but having a voice exactly. be before you had a voice. That's really, that's really interesting. I mean, I wonder how many people do that, um, that they have ideas, that they have strong feelings, that they have opinions, but don't feel able to voice them, to present them, right? But they lose them. I, I think that's the important thing about you, is that you didn't lose that. You didn't succumb and say, well, then it, I shouldn't have ideas, I shouldn't have opinions. You held on to that. I have nothing but opinions. <laughs> <laughs> Just ask my husband. <laughs> well, but, but you know what I'm saying? I'm right. saying that someone else... Yes, you could squelch it and, and they go away, right. or you can you can hold on to it and just keep a kernel of it until later when it can, you know, the seed and then it, the blue seed can bloom. Yeah, later. yeah, I think I think that's actually correct. I mean, I think that's how it was, and, and it seems like that's what you did, mm -hmm. which is intriguing. I mean, you know, it, because, yeah, well, forgive me and tell me if you think this is all wrong, but somebody who feels they are not able to voice their opinion might also have the concomitant, I think that's the right word, um, opinion that their opinion wasn't valuable. But you were able to value it enough to hold on to it. That's pretty, that's pretty interesting. And I think not that common. Hmm. I never thought of it that way. Do any of your siblings have, do they? My, my sister is actually a very talented visual designer. She's a jewelry designer. She started the conventional route through college, but uh, the, she got burglarized while in college and they stole all her costume jewelry and she didn't have money to really replace it so she decided to just make her own <laughs> and then people on the street saw it and said where'd you get that Sorry. and the next thing you know she she just started her own jewelry line it's Jolie Jewelry J-O-L-I <laughs> <laughs> what a she, great story and um, and so she ended up doing that 
for, for decades now. And, you talk and, about, you know, like you use lemons and you make lemonade, right? <laughs> yeah, and so she, she just harnessed that, but she's always had a very clear design sense. Uh, so she's, you know... She's well, okay, I'd like to go back to the cover of the... That's a drawing, that's yeah. not written, right? right? So you didn't decide, this is my thing, I, you know, clearly... Uh, I, I did... Um, I did study a bit, and I did actually get into um, art for a while, and I exhibited. I, I had, you know, sh uh, yes. shows, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and I was then also into illustration, uh, and thought about going that route, but it, it was probably fifty-one percent writing versus forty-nine percent. It, it was just a, a natural drift, uh, because to me, you, you can do a lot with visual, but written. And, and language has that little bit more voice to it, and and that's the, mo the direction I guess I was heading in. Over and time. it's it's harder to express your emotions visually than it is in language. It's it's harder for some people. Other people, it's much easier for. Well, like my mother, she's oh, yeah. a visual artist. First, yes, that's second right. Second and third. That's right. Uh, that's right. And maybe this is just isn't right because I'm not visual. That that art is subjective so that while the person who's making it may be absolutely expressing what they're feeling, someone else may not get it. Do you think that's wrong? Um, I think there's a truth to it. It's certainly op many kinds of art are open to interpretation depending on how figurative it is, mm. but there's also writing that can be open to interpretation, certain literature. Ah. Mm. Uh, and, and poetry, certainly. Right. So yeah. uh, anytime any of us tries to communicate with someone else, there's always room for interpretation. Uh, well, I would have said that a little <laughs> for miscommunication, right? Well, that's what the, that was the implied. <laughs> yes, uh, I know. I know. Yes. I, mean, I thought it was kind of interesting the forty-nine fifty-one thing. So, at, was there a moment when you thought, you know, I could go either way, but actually, I think I'll go words. I don't know if it was conscious, but what happened? I had an interesting. Ex well, actually, I'm bringing another art into this, which you weren't aware of, too. I went through my singer-songwriter phase, uh -huh. and um, I was performing original work uh, and covers at some local venues. And um, What do you play? A guitar. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I haven't played much in a long time, but at the time, uh, uh, you know, I, I, was, I was a late comer to the f folk scene and, and then other musics. Um, and I still love music, and my husband's a very talented musician, so uh, there's music all around. But uh, I found myself spending more time, when I was writing songs, I'd spend more time on the lyrics than on the music. Mm -hmm. uh, like, I, I would just have such fun tweaking the words, and um, that was one example of how that came to be. Yeah, right, right. So how did you go from there to... Well, I had to make a living. <laughs> 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 and and um, being able to manipulate words and language uh, was a good way to do it. And I ended up uh, working at publishers in, uh, in the New York metropolitan area. Mm -hmm. And Oh, well, let's back up a little bit. So when you went to, to college, didn't you say you... I majored in English, although I got a, min I got a second major in, in studio art, too, as it happens. But the, the English was my primary. Okay, so by then you knew that language somehow was going to be important to you? No? Yes, there's, to me it's just, um, yeah. 
I'm laughing because I'm thinking that Yo-Yo uh, um, Ma was once asked, why did you take up the cello? And he said, well, because it's the best instrument. <laughs> it's like self-evident to him. And yeah, to me, right. this, the, what you could do with words is extraordinary in language. So, and, you know, each, the, you can collect words like beautiful marbles. Each one has its own meaning or purpose. Uh, and then you could put them together and make patterns and some jewelry. Jewelry, <laughs> exactly. Um. Okay, so you so you major major in English in studio art, right? And you graduate, and is this where the singer songwriter phase comes in, or right, right after college graduation? Mm -hmm. During college, I started playing in earnest and writing, and uh, it was a it was a fun way for me to connect with people and and uh, explore the world. Mm -hmm. Okay, so so some point you say, oh, this is great, but I have to make a living, and you apply for jobs at publishing companies. Um, approximately, yes. I I took some. I, I've had so many different jobs. If we went into a laundry list, it, it, <laughs> it, you know, it, uh, it would become overwhelming. But the the key points were that I did end up working for publishers, and. Um, then I got into typesetting. What happened was I was in the production end. This, to me, is what's kind of interesting. I was in the production end for a long time. I can manipulate words and, and fix things. and Production meaning like typesetting and galleys and the, the, the mechanics of producing the book. Wow. I could have taken a, a job in fiction publishing, but the pay was so much less I couldn't afford to take that job, so I took the job for a textbook publisher mm -hmm. and, and did a production. And did you know how to do this stuff? Did you Well, you, le you learn on the job. Yeah, well, th th that's right. Yeah. So they just and knew that you were literate and you could learn it, and so they hired you and right. you could do it. Okay. Right. And um, th to me, what's kind of interesting is that it, I was working in publishing, and I started to realize I had friends in other fields who were doing more real writing than I was doing, even though I was working in publishing. So I thought, well, maybe I should go to graduate school. And so I spent all of these years sort of in and out of English. I was taking English classes. I went to different universities because I'm also a lifelong learner, and that's part of what I like about writing, especially writing in collaboration with experts because then I learn from them. So it's just an information soak for me. Um, so You're I, still figuring out the world. Right, I'm still figuring mean, That's my whole purpose. <laughs> that's apparently and right. I, I, trying to figure out, also trying to share with people what I've learned or, um, and, and sometimes entertain them. Uh, and, and both, better yet, both. Mm -hmm. yeah. right? um, but so this whole process of moving from going from production and then into trying to get my foothold into doing some writing myself uh, through graduate school, then I discovered what was called technical communication, and that's basically practical writing, uh, whether it's documenting software or writing policies for a company or writing you know, informational materials of some kind. So I ended up getting into that route, and then I realized, and I was teaching kids to do this. I was teaching college students to do this, and I realized they, they are quickly going to be making a whole lot more than I'm making. <laughs> doing this doing thing this. And I said, do right, so at that point, I took a gap in my <laughs> studies and went back to doing it myself so that I could, you know, pay my way. Uh, 
I'm going to fast forward because there's an interesting pivot point. I was working in technical writing. I was working for a software company running their, one of their departments, one of their teams of technical writers, and the company kept downsizing. And it was actually, they, they made me a manager and then I had to lay everybody off. It was terrible. Ugh. So eventually I knew my time was going to come and I was going to get a severance package. So I decided to use that severance to basically pay me to be like an intern. Uh, that's how I thought of it. I wanted to switch to writing with my own name on it and not, you know, being completely anonymous in every, every case. Plus something a little more fascinating to me than... I enjoyed the technical writing. There's always a puzzle aspect in helping smart people share information. But I thought I could get into reporting and writing personal things with my name on it um, and I was a little subsidized by that. So by you, bought, that. you bought yourself some time. I bought myself time and I thought, let me just... You interned to yourself. Right, exactly. <laughs> I, I just started a real world internship, uh, yeah. I guess is how I looked at it. I started to uh, get assignments. I, I was like flabbergasted, you know, I was like how writing you... about myself. Uh, the first one I got was it's kind of astonishing to me is that there was a, I found an ad somewhere that Match.com wanted articles about dating. At the time, I was still single, I believe, um, or I had, I don't think I had just met my husband, but, but um, anyway, I just wrote some cheeky stuff. I, didn't, I compared, you know, dating, uh, going to a bar, like going to a garage sale. <laughs> <laughs> and I just thought, well, we'll see. And son of a gun, if they didn't want it and pay me for it and ask me to do more. Wow. So that gave me a little confidence. And then I started shifting over to reporting more and got some wonderful opportunities, partly because I was willing to start small. I had to start small. I didn't have any cred. And, um, and I got my first big assignment from uh, an alt-weekly in Fort Worth, and the editor had been on a Pulitzer Prize-winning team. And I was so terrified because I was so in awe of her that she had the Pulitzer Prize. <laughs> I, I was like shaking the whole time I did the assignment. It was a cover story, it was 5,000 words. Oh my gosh. And I just threw myself into this thing. I think this is the first one I did. I, I don't remember, because I, I got through that first one, somehow survived, and she would assign me additional ones. And one, I, I actually discovered some interesting things. I ended up speaking to the richest woman in the world. I ended up finding what looked like tax fraud like I was I really threw myself into it far more than the pay warranted but and I what was this that you it was the um it was for the Fort Worth Weekly uh, oh the local newspaper. newspaper right mm -hmm. uh and they did they covered things that the regular newspaper wouldn't mm -hmm. and and so this was a, an interesting local story that I stumbled on I had questions I had more questions I went to the editor and I say how about this she said sure and that's one of the things, she was just so easy to work with. She would just give me free reign and I would write these. Now that I remember it, it took me forever to persuade her to hire me the first time. <laughs> I had an idea and I kept hammering at her and she would say, ah. finally she said, okay. And that's, and when she assigned this first big piece, that's when I was like terrified, absolutely terrified. But it ended up, I did some follow-ups and it ended up pretty darn strong. And so I submitted 
I thought, what the heck, I'll submit it for a competition. And um, I got notified I was a finalist. <laughs> and I thought, oh my God. Like, <laughs> this is like the picture on the cover. No, right. that can't happen. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> exactly. Oh. And, and then they, the, the organization asked me, was I going to be coming to the, <laughs> the awards event? Right, yeah. And I said, well, I was living in, in Arlington, Texas, and they were in Austin. I thought, well, you're in the same state, so all right, I guess I'll come. Right. You know, <laughs> I I was up against two. Na- my piece was up against articles from two national public you know, magazines, mm-hmm. um, and so I knew I wasn't going to win. Right. I said to my husband, I'm not going to win, but I'll go. You know, it, it's the Society of Environmental Journalists, and it'll be really cool to see what their conference is like. And um, and I get there, and I'm. And I'm, I'm what just, was your piece about? It was about um, illegal rock mining out in rural areas that was essentially dislodging what held the rivers properly, and so the rivers were being destroyed as the so so that people could take rocks right because there was such a hot market for stone. Oh my God! And. It's like hidden from view, and the only reason I knew is that uh, I was at a public meeting, and somebody said, we have to go up in our own airplanes to see what these guys are doing. And I said, who would go up in your own airplane? <laughs> I, I, I had to know more, right. and that, let, that opened the whole door. And, oh, my God, these people were wonderful. This was the other thing about it. Talk about literature. I went out uh, to, to Weather, I think it was Weatherford, uh, a mineral wells. It was... It's, out you know, in a rural area of Texas, and the people there I started talking to, they said, do you know uh, Goodbye to a River? I was like, what are you talking about? They said, well, it's like a classic of literature, and it's about this river that's being destroyed. And it was part of what, they said, you have to read it. It's like, it was clear it was driving their passion for it too. And it was so astonishingly beautifully written. It was like poetic. And so what I did in my piece, I had taken some quotes from that, to head mm-hmm. up each section of the story. Wow. And I tied it together and I said, can you believe this is the same river? And then I ended up talking to him by phone too for the story. So it was just all these pieces. Yeah. It was Alice Walton, the heiress to the Walmart fortune, who I spoke to on the phone because her ranch was adjacent. Wow. So it was all these important, interesting, historic uh, pieces, political, mm-hmm. just all these elements to it. And I had put it in there. Uh, and... So I was at the award ceremony, and I'm just sitting there, and somehow my name gets called. <laughs> and I was, in, I was so thrown by this and so unprepared and so completely confident that yes, I wouldn't right, get it right. that I couldn't say a word. <laughs> I, I walked up. I, I see pictures of myself, and I look like a deer in the headlights. <laughs> And, and they said things to me, and they said complimentary things about my piece, but none of it stuck because I was... You weren't there. I, I was so <laughs> completely thrown and just... And um, and I, re- I remember like a phrase or two that they said, but everything else, I only wish I knew all they the nice things that they said about it. They didn't record No, they know. didn't. Um, you know, sometime later, there was like a reception afterward, and I, when I spoke to one of the judges... And I was still like so perplexed by this whole thing. <laughs> and I was like, I said, he was saying nice things. And I was saying, I don't even know why I spent that much time on this piece. Oh, like, I, I just got sucked into it. He said, 
He says, well, some of the best writers, they really, you have to be obsessive. Uh, you know, and I said, I guess so. But, uh, and I wasn't sure if that was a compliment or an insult, <laughs> but I had just... I had just wanted to look at that from every facet. That's really what it was, this problem. I wasn't just looking at like, oh, these bad guys. It was like, what was drawing them to do it? What are the implications? What is the significance to people? And then on the political end of the scale, what... Um, well, who's taking care, who's protecting who it? Who cares about it and why does it matter now that the richest woman in the world cares, suddenly the governor cares. Yeah. You know, so uh, it, it was the microcosm of... of, of the way things interact and, and like a, a mobile where you pull this part and this and the side goes yes, down. Yeah. Or the butterfly in Africa and right, right, right. One thing leads to the next. Um, but the, but the, but that was a moment that was like, oh my God, I think I can do this. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, it, again, this may be a, a, a stretch, but what it made me think of for you was the little girl who had opinions but didn't somehow think that she could or should present them so they were sort of in her head it's almost like anyway this is what it looks like to me is that that was that girl you know oh yeah it's my idea it's my idea i wrote it down okay fine but but nobody's going to listen to it right right and so it's very shocking to discover that your idea about who you are is or idea about other the world and, and what's going on in the world. Well, in this case, I think that you are not, your ideas, your work is not somehow, I don't know, that I had something to, that I had right. something to, to, that was to really say that was, that people cared about. Yeah, that's right. right. That was significant. Yeah. So that's a very important moment in somebody's life. And, um, and so you, even you had to consider the fact that you might be able to do this, right? Exactly. Right? Okay. So what did you do? Well, here's the next kind of fun uh, pivot, I guess, or, or, is that I loved writing for this editor, Gail Reeves, um, because she gave me free reign. They were interesting stories, but I couldn't afford it. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to educate myself on the profession, and I, I knew that I had to have guidelines and I had to draw the line and so that I had to work my way up and get more money for what I was doing so I, I I made this sort of edict to myself no more writing for this publication because they just don't pay but then the editor calls me just oh these people in town these researchers their professors they are working with adopted kids who nobody can reach and they are doing things that nobody can do will you write a profile I was like oh she says oh my god they're doing such fabulous things they're like helping families i was like oh right <laughs> <laughs> so i go to meet them and i do a profile and by the time the profile comes out they had already asked me to help them write a book to share ah. with parents uh, because they said you are getting it as well as any of our graduate students like you you get it and uh, we want to share this with a wider audience and the funny thing was that it was just the right moment because I had the technical writing training so I could organize information mm -hmm. and put it into chunks and think of how to make it accessible. But I was also in my reporter storytelling mode so I could right. bring you those together uh, into that book. And I also got exceptionally lucky because the lead author it became a pioneer in the field and 
her legacy is unbelievable. They renamed the institute for her. Oh my God! Um, and Karen, Dr. Karen Purvis, and I, it'll bring tears to my eyes because she is just a very special person. She was a child whisperer, a dog whisperer. She was a she had charisma and kindness and insight and understanding wow. uh, that was unparalleled and so she introduced me to all kinds of things that helped me understand even myself um, she introduced me to attachment theory and uh, to basics of child development and how you can't get to stage C until you've gone Not through stage, stage A <laughs> and uh, just all these things that um, now are very familiar to me uh, but I was childless and you know this was all fascinating and and very profound it seemed uh, well you had been so a child I had been a child so I could relate <laughs> that's uh, right in a number of ways uh, that's right. I, I kind of you know writing the book that you wish your parents had had exactly <laughs> <laughs> um, but that book thanks to Karen Purvis and the combination we just had a connection it was a very special uh, partnership um, and that book I I just got my latest royalty statements. They just translated it into Lithuanian. It's now <laughs> 12 years out or something. Oh it's become God. a classic in the field. Wow. It's required reading at um, child protective agencies and adoption agencies. Wow. Uh, many of them. And this is the one you didn't want to write. This was, the, this was, this followed because I wrote an article that I didn't want to write. Yeah. But I met these people right. and that led to this. And, and then what happened is that that led to a second opportunity, which is now fast forward to today. Uh, and, and this coming new year, uh, colleagues of Karen Purvis and this team approached me a few years after the success of that one and said, you know, we'd like to write a book for our organization. We're doing something a little different, special in its own way. They have a, a residential treatment facility for kids who just, uh, the parents don't know what to do with them. They're so yeah. difficult to deal with. And so they come to these residential treatment centers, often with reactive attachment disorder, but trauma of different types for whatever reason. And they had, they had used the techniques that I helped describe in the first book, but they've also incorporated many others. And they had their own synthesis and blend of, of uh, evidence-based um, uh, you know interventions mm -hmm. and so when they asked me to help them I thought wow th this is an honor and uh, so important for people potentially and it took a long time because they had I was trying to help them capture the 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 collective knowledge wisdom of a whole organization and distill it down into takeaway messages for parents and finally uh, after many years of uh, working together uh, the book is now uh, at, at the printer <laughs> and, and will be uh, coming out when? in January 2020. <laughs> it's called Raising the Challenging Child. Wow. And the lead author is Karen Buckwalter and the co-author is Debbie Reed. Uh, and then I'm, I, I'm a co-author. Okay, so that, that takes us more or less up to date, does it not? Yes. And so how do you define yourself? How do you, dis or do you? This is a constant question. Um, I find myself now debating how I can bring my own voice forward more uh, uh, because I've been ghostwriting yes, uh, yes, yes, yes. to make a living and right. uh, learning again about, um, I'm working with a wealth management firm, helping them write a book to help people. So I learn too, it's fantastic. 
but I also get the itch to share my own thoughts. So I have written some essays. Yes. Uh, and I'm debating if I should. Pers- Nothing has come to fruition yet. I'm. It's always a work in progress. But that is the, that's the wonderful, delicious question of having a, a creative and artistic um, outlet that you can turn it to your to your needs and reinvent it. Well, yeah, but you know, it's. I mean, at the risk of being ridiculously repetitive, I hear yet again the is my opinion. You know, of value. Am I going? Am I finally going to get it out of my head? <laughs> you know, and write it down. Right? That could be the uh, life's work. <laughs> yeah, well, I believe that's not uncommon, as you know. You know, so so yeah, that would be wonderful if this was the pivot that brought you there. Um, even though what you've been doing with your life is helping take everybody else's ideas out of their head and getting it on paper. And those things have all been so incredibly valuable. Still, what you have in your head is also valuable and we would like to have it. So, <laughs> so we're looking forward to this. Thank you, Lynn. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I only have one more question and it is, having given a life to writing, and really you have, whatever the early tug of war between art and songwriting, you have really, right? So is there anything you would say about what that's like, what it means to you, or what it feels like, or any of that? It's very thrilling, but to do it, you have to enjoy the process too. It makes me think of the wonderful story by Scott Hamilton, the Olympic skater, uh, who you know, asked about what he liked best about skating. Was it the performing? At the fun? He said he loves practice. Yeah, yeah. He loves practice. And to me, I can get sucked into just moving words around and sentences around, and I'll mean to get up, I plan to get up, and then I find all this time has gone by. In fact, I've had to get a a desk that I can stand at and have a treadmill or a bicycle because otherwise I might not get up. uh, Because of your body, right? Yeah, I mean, like, one physically needs to get Get up up. and move around. Uh, But I can go down that rabbit hole and get so engaged and want to... I, yes, uh, this word goes here. No, this one is better over here, right? right. Like that, you know. Right, and and so to me, it's like, you know, um, like I love co- colored glass uh, with that catches the light, and it you'll see it gleam in a certain uh, and the and the rays it sends out. And to me, writing can do that too. You know, once you get it where you want it. <laughs> That is a perfect place to stop. I love that. Thank you so much, Wendy Lyons Sunshine. Thank you, Lynn. I appreciate it.